Uh, we're continuing our series through Matthew, and we're, we've named the series Kingdom Come. And you can see from the little uh, image there, we've got the golden crown and we have the crown of thorns. And, and what Matthew is doing as he, as he works this out chapter by chapter is helping us to, to wrestle with that tension of Jesus being this king that we've all been waiting for, this king that fixes everything, that makes everything right, but he's also the suffering servant. And, and he, he's going to fix everything and make everything right, but he's going to do that on the road of suffering by going to the cross for us. And that's a tension that we'll continue to wrestle with in Matthew and it's continuing to unfold for us. Uh, there's a, another big installment, another uh, new serial episode coming today in chapter 17. So if you'll open up your Bibles to, uh, to Matthew 17. The name of our sermon today is Listen to Him, and this is kind of a well-known story. It's the transfiguration where Jesus appears in His full majesty and glory. It kind of overwhelms the disciples or the, the inner three of, of disciples. And it's where God tells them to listen to Him. And you see this uh, this interesting thing where, where they, they've maybe gotten a little distracted and they didn't quite get that the point is Jesus. That, that he's the whole point of, of this episode. He's the whole point of this display. It's all about Jesus, not about the other guys, not about the light, not about the other things happening, but it's about Jesus and God tells them to listen to him. So read with me, uh, starting in 17. And if you, if you don't have a Bible too, if you don't even have one at home, we'd be glad for you to take one of the ones under the chairs. You can grab one of those, uh, those little black Bibles. We're on page 822 in those black Bibles. It's Matthew 17, and I'll just read the first few verses. So after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Uh, often this is referred to in the gospel stories as kind of the inner circle of disciples. You know, Jesus had his disciples, and then he had other disciples, and you kind of see him spending more time with, with lesser and lesser numbers, but these were kind of the close few, kind of the leaders among the twelve were these three, these three guys in the inner circle. So in verse 2, there it says he was transfigured before them or transformed before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light or as white as lightning. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Uh, the other gospel accounts say that he like didn't make any sense. Peter's just kind of babbling at this point. You know, he's not he's not really making any sense. He doesn't really know what to do with the wonder of the situation. He's like, oh, all right, we'll build some houses, right? We'll build some houses for Moses and Elijah and for you. While he was still speaking, in verse five, it says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, "This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him." Let's pray, and uh, I'm going to ask God to help us to listen to Him as we look at the Word together this morning. Father, we, we pray that You would teach us this morning, that Your Spirit would, would uh, open up our ears and allow us to hear. Lord, there's a lot of things that, uh, that stops that from happening. Our own willfulness, our own sin, our stubbornness, uh, habits, the way we were raised, whatever it is, distractions, things that, just that are pressing in on us this morning. And, and so, Father, we ask You to kind of clear the way to help us to hear you, that, that your spirit would apply your word this morning um, to our hearts, that we would really be changed, that we would, we would be different. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, about, it's about 
four or five years ago, my, my wife and I were in a really uh, kind of tough place in our marriage. Uh, we'd, we'd been in this old fixer-upper house, um, and if, if any of you ladies know what that's like, it can be kind of a difficult process, especially if you, you like a nice nest that's orderly and, you know, where everything works. Um, basically, everything was kind of broken for about four years of our life while we were fixing it up, and, you know, and like the week before we sold it and moved out, we finally got it fixed. It was, it was one of those kind of situations. Um, so it was just a lot of a lot of stress, a lot of distraction, a lot of weight on her, especially you know more so than me because that was kind of where she lived and worked a lot more than I did. Um, we had little kids at that time. We were actually homeschooling our kids, and so we had like one that was a preschooler, and then a couple in elementary school, and and so her life was filled with with uh, you know creaking machinery and 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 creaky doors and a creaky wooden floor and, and squealing children and kind of all these these noises and all these these different things competing for her her attention for her to hear uh, and, and part of the problem that we were having was it, it didn't seem like she could hear me it, it just seemed like she could only hear everything else around her the chaos and the kids and the crying and everything that was going on um, but she couldn't she couldn't hear my voice like like literally every time I talked to her either she would just completely ignore me or or there was a what what and I'd say it again what and, and there would be this repeating and and we were really struggling through that I mean we were she was starting to think man am I I think I love my husband I, you know what's wrong with me I don't, I'm not I'm just not hearing him and it was a real struggle for us and we, we eventually found some help you know we eventually moved through that but as, as I was looking at this passage and I was seeing Peter struggle to get the point of Jesus and I there's the best illustration I could come up with. So I'm not trying to put myself in the place of Jesus, you know, that she needed to listen to me. But, but you know, there is this, this concept that, that we can get distracted by their voices and not hear what we should be hearing um, because we're hearing everything else. We're hearing all the fuzz. We're hearing the, you know, you go into a loud restaurant. There's, there's all this clamor and you can't hear the conversation you're trying to hear. You can only hear the loud music or hear the conversation of the people screaming next to you. And I think that's kind of what's happening with Peter in this passage. He, he's amazed. There's Moses and Elijah, you know, he grew up hearing these Bible stories, and there they are, and he's thinking, okay, Lord, I'll build a little house for Moses, and I'll build a little house for Elijah, and and God's like, no, it's Jesus. The point is my son, Jesus, and, and this cloud comes down, and it overwhelms them, and the voice comes out, listen to my son, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased, listen to him, he is the point. And we're going to see this unfold in, in, in other ways throughout the passage. But but it reminds us really of Exodus, right? I mean, Exodus is kind of the last big big uh, time that something like this happened where we had a, a cloud come down, right? When God appeared to the Israelites and came down and talked to Moses, God came down in this, this kind of fiery, bright cloud on the on the mountain. Um, and even, even the introductory verse where it says, after six days, Jesus took his disciples up on top of the mountain. Um, after six days kind of reminds us if if we know Exodus well and the story well that, that Moses was kind of waiting and the cloud came down for six days and then God invited him in to talk to him after six days on the mountain. So, you know, they're just little things like that, little connectors that draw us in. I remember that, that Moses, when he would talk to God, he would like glow. You know, he would just radiate after having seen God so much that it, it scared everybody else, you know. And here we see Jesus glowing. 
important distinction is that Jesus seems to be glowing from the inside out, right? He's not reflecting the glory of the Father, but but he has that glory in himself, and it's just shooting out of him. But but there's all these little connections that remind us of what was happening there with Moses and the Exodus, where God revealed Himself. And if you remember in, in that story, when God comes down and gives the Ten Commandments and, and starts to gather a people for himself and make a covenant with them and say, I'm going to make you my special people and, and kind of reveal his grace to them and also his law, um, when, he, when he talks to them, um, it says, these are the words that he spoke. These are the words that he spoke. And, and again and again, there's this idea that we should, we should listen to what God has to say. But when God gave, gave his Ten Commandments, when he gave his covenant to the nation of Israel, they were supposed to listen. And Moses eventually became the mouthpiece for them. But here we see that it's Jesus. It's not, not Moses anymore. And it's not Elijah, the great prophet that came any longer. But it's Jesus. Moses and Elijah just disappear. And it's this great verse here. I think it's in 5. Where is it? Where it says, Jesus was there all alone. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Going to verse 6, it says, When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. It was just him. That's all that was left. And that's really the point of the whole Bible. He's the, the point where everything is headed. So we, we should listen to him. And I want to break it up into pieces. Like what are the different situations in our life where it's hard for us to hear him? And the first one is when we're afraid. Uh, we should listen to Jesus when we're afraid. And, and that's kind of where it starts with them just falling face down on their flat on their face. I'll, re- I'll read it again. It's just the verses I just read. While he was still speaking, that, that cloud came down. The voice came out. This is my son whom I love and him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this voice of God coming out of this cloud, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. I want to talk about how we should listen to him when we're afraid. But I want to back up a step and, and say that we should be afraid. Because I think culturally we kind of miss that. I think culturally we skip that part. And I think the story we get and the story of Christianity in America, at least in the last hundred years, has been God loves you. And that's not wrong. That's true. God loves you. Um, but, but often we miss that, that trembling, that falling face down, terrified of a holy God. Because we're in big trouble. Because we're rebels that have spit in God's face. Because we've gone our own way. We've done our own thing. And, and when we really see God and His holiness, we should be terrified. We should be afraid. And so I feel like I have to kind of explain that first. You know, before I can say, don't be afraid, you have to understand that we should be afraid. We should be afraid. God is holy, and, and we're not. And, and we're, we're rebels that have, that have pushed Him out of our life. Again, we're, we're reminded of, of Exodus. In Exodus, when God spoke out of the cloud, they, they said to Moses, don't, don't let him talk to us anymore. Moses, we just want to talk to you. We don't want to talk to God. And in Exodus 20:19, it says, They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. That's a healthy fear to have of God. 
we, we should have that kind of fear. We we shouldn't just think, oh, it doesn't matter, you know, whatever we do, it doesn't matter because God is love and, you know, He's happy all the time and everything's going to be fine, right? Because I, th- I think that's kind of where we are culturally, and I think it's especially a danger of, of a church like ours where, where we try to be very casual. Um, we try to be very approachable. Um, and, and what we're doing when we're trying to be casual and we're trying to be non-traditional it, is we're trying to remove the extra barriers so, so that there's not extra things in the way of people seeing God and hearing His Word and understanding who He is. We're trying to, we're trying to move those things out of the way. We're just trying to, to be real. You know, we're not trying to communicate some message of God is casual and doesn't care or God's not holy or God's just happy all the time. You know, we're not, we're not trying to communicate that message. We're just trying to remove the extra barriers. But, but there's this one final barrier that we can't remove, and that's our own sin. We can't remove that barrier. And, and dressing in casual clothes or, or being non-traditional is not trying to communicate the message that God is a God that doesn't care. That God is a God that just winks and, and looks the other way and doesn't pay attention to our sin. God, God is a God who is holy and is angry at our sin and we should be afraid of Him. We should be terrified. And we should understand, and this is the message that we're trying to communicate in the midst of our casualness, that the message that we're trying to say is that Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the only thing that can remove that final barrier. We can take away barriers of tradition. We can remove barriers of, of you know, feeling like you have to dress up or look a certain way or fit a certain kind of, be a certain kind of person. You know, we can try to remove those kind of social barriers, but we can't remove the last barrier. Only Jesus removes that final barrier, and He's the one that that came to give Himself for us on the cross to to pay for our sin. And and so, you know, when when we worship God in casualness, it's it's not it's not to say that we we shouldn't have reverence and awe for Him. I was talking to an older gentleman about this the other day. How how the younger generation, really my generation and those younger often have a hard time understanding the holiness of God. We often don't get it because many of us have just grown up in kind of um, casual contemporary churches and you know everything's just kind of cool and laid back. And, but, but that doesn't mean that God's not holy. It doesn't mean that God is not angry at sin. Now, now there is a happy, there's a happy ending to that though, right? Jesus comes and He says, yes, you're afraid. He should be afraid, but then He says, don't be afraid because I'm here. Jesus grabs them. He touches them. He picks them up. He says, don't be afraid. So Jesus comes to us in our fear, in our, our right fear of His holiness and His awesomeness, that He's pure and we're not. And, and Jesus comes and fixes that problem. Jesus comes and says, don't be afraid. It's okay. And, and we have to listen to Him. Um, you know, there's, there's different ways that we move people. And as I talked through this, I was, I was thinking about it. I, I don't want you to get the wrong idea, like I'm trying to move you with fear. I just think it's important that we need to start there. We start with the fear, but we're moved by God's grace. Okay, we, we start with the fear and understanding that God is holy and that we are not and that there's a problem. But we're moved by the reality that He moves into our life and He fixes the problem. And He says, don't be afraid, I'm going to make these things right. Jesus gave Himself to die in our place and and rose from the dead to to seal that victory over death and over sin. 
I was thinking about how we how we treat dogs, right? I found a picture here of a uh, supposed to be kind of a sad dog. You know, when I thought of being afraid, I just thought of you know those dogs that are just kind of whimpering and cowing all the time, you know, cowering. And and uh, we're actually watching our neighbor's dog right now, and we've been watching them for about a week. And and they have basically two methods that they use to to get the dog to go to bed at night. Um, you know, one method is to shame the dog. You know, to talk, oh, oh, no, bad, bad dog, no. And the dog, <laughs> dog kind of whimpers, and then it'll finally obey. You know, it's just, just shaming the dog into obedience. And then there's this other method they use, um, and this has been a little weird for me, but it, they sing a special song and, and take a treat and kind of dance with this treat and, and dance into the, the room where the dog's bed is in this little utility room and throw the treat on the bed and sing this song for the dog. And I'm like, really? We have to sing a song for the dog? Like, I just, this kind of blows my mind. Like, I don't even have a dog, so much less singing a song to the dog. It seems a little over the top, but, but really, I mean, that's kind of how God... That's how God communicates with us. Um, so, so, so don't misunderstand me. We should be afraid. We should fear His holiness. But, but God doesn't move us with that. God comes to us in our fear and our brokenness, knowing that we've sinned, knowing that we, that we don't deserve any grace. That's the definition of what grace is. It's undeserved. But He comes to us in grace. And he woos us with his love. He draws us in. He doesn't shame us into following him. He draws us in with his love and with his grace. Jesus touches us and says, don't, don't be afraid. It's okay. And he just, just as he picks up the disciples, he picks up us. So I think the, I think just some application is, is first of all we should have some we should have some awe and some reverence in our worship and that's a difficult thing you know it's not something you can create really essentially that's something in your hearts um, we can we can try to lead you there uh, one of the things that that just comes up sometimes is is uh, some of the people in the worship team like remove their shoes and some people misunderstand that they do that because they think think it's cool um, or hip or something but they actually do that again going back to Moses who when God revealed himself to Moses, God said, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. And so some of the people on the worship team removed their shoes out of reverence and awe because of the holiness of, of God. Um, I, I would do that, but I can't even walk barefoot at home because I have bad, rickety feet. So so I, I keep my shoes on. But, but there are ways that we can express reverence to God. Throughout the scriptures, the most common posture of worship is bowing. That's the most common posture of worship. Not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. Bowing to God. Um, so, so not just in our corporate worship, are there ways that we can express reverence and awe to God, um, but, but in our private worship as well. So I'd encourage you um, to, to think through that. What are ways that you can express humility and submission to God? But again, not, not thinking that He's moving you with shame or He's moving you with fear. God moves you by His grace. But humble yourself before God and He, he will lift you up. The next thing that we see uh, in this chapter as we work through it is that we should listen to Him when we're confused too. Not just when we're afraid, but when we're confused. And uh, as the teacher of His disciples, of His followers, Jesus is always explaining, He's directing, He's helping them, them, them kind of get the bigger picture. We see this in 14 through 20, starting in verse... Oops, 
That's the wrong one. Nine. Verses nine through thirteen. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So again, he's instructing them, he's teaching them, explaining things. We talked about this a little bit last week. This is one of those weird things that Jesus does a lot. It's kind of like, don't tell people about how great I am yet, um, because he doesn't want it to get all out of control. Because we've seen, people people don't get the suffering part. They just want to grab him and take him and make him king by force, and they get the golden crown ruler that makes all things right, but they don't get the suffering. And, and they're not ready for him to go through that suffering. And so that's why Jesus, now that he's revealed his glory to these guys, he's like, okay, keep this tight. Don't tell anyone until after the resurrection. And in verse 10, the disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? So it sounds kind of out of the blue, but they're, but they're really getting that he really is the Messiah. They kind of knew he was the Messiah, and they were saying that before. But now that he's shown his kind of glorious majesty, they're like, okay, you are you are it. You are the Messiah. Like They really get it now, and they're like, but well, where was Elijah? Elijah never came. In Malachi, it says before the Messiah comes that, that uh, Elijah is going to come and turn the hearts of, of the fathers back to the children and the children back to the fathers. And so Elijah is going to come and restore all things. And this was the teaching that they had. And Jesus replied in 11, To be sure Elijah comes and will restore all things. So he's saying, that's going to happen. He says in verse 12, But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. So some people look at this and say, okay, there's some future thing that's going to happen. Elijah's still going to come. And maybe in some form, there's maybe some other you know, fulfillment of that. But he has come. Jesus says, but Elijah has come here. Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. And in the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And it says, then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. There, there's confusing things in the, in the Bible, all over the place. I'm just going to be straight with you, okay? It can be a very confusing book, right? Anybody tried to read it before? Anyone here? Um, you just pick it up and start reading it at random. It can blow your mind. It's, it's hard to, to get it, okay? Um, and, and there's a principle here that we should listen to Jesus as, as the key that unwraps the Bible. He, he's the one, he's the center of the story. He's the hero of the story. And, and any confusion and any misunderstanding that we have, we should kind of funnel it back through Jesus as, as our interpretive grid, as our compass, as our, as our road map. We should, we should listen to him as the one that gives us directions and, and shows us where to go. I, I had a little picture here of a, uh, a map. Um, and I was thinking about how, I don't know you guys, but, but I, I don't like to ask for directions. Any men here that are that way? And it's this classic joke where wives get frustrated because their husbands won't stop and ask for directions. I think wives often think that it's just because we're belligerent and prideful, which I'm sure we are. But, but for me, the reason that I don't stop and ask for directions is because so many times I've been given bad directions. So I, I don't trust those people. I'm not going to drive up to the 7-Eleven and say... Hey, you work at 7-Eleven, can you give me directions? You know, yeah, you live 30 miles away, but maybe you could tell me how to get to the place, you know, in this neighborhood or whatever. And they never, they, they can never direct me properly. They're always like, well, I just moved here, but I'll try. Hmm, let me think. And so I, I don't like to ask for directions from people because I don't trust them. But, 
But Jesus is the one that we can trust. And we should listen to him as the one that will give us directions, help us to navigate in our confusion. And I think especially with the scriptures. Like I said, it's a confusing book. And when we're confused, I think we need to take it back to Jesus as the, as the hero of the story, as the fulfillment of the story, as the point of the story, as, as the, uh, the zenith, as the climax, as the one, the redeemer that we've been looking for, the fulfillment. And we see this, again, this is a theme of Matthew. Again and again, he's showing us how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything. So we look at this confusing thing with John the Baptist and Elijah. And you know, people ask John the Baptist, are you, are you Elijah? And he said, no. And now Jesus says he is, and, and that's confusing for us. But we can trust Jesus, okay? He gets it. He knows the map. He's not like the random person you ask on the street that has no idea how to direct you. But, but he really knows where he's going. And he knows how to direct us. And so we should listen to him when we're confused, and we're confused about Scripture. We're trying to understand things. And I said he was explaining these things to them, instructing them, and, and how it was all going to unfold. And he was right. And they didn't really get it at this point, but they were going to get it later. And that happens to us too, right? And Jesus kind of lays things out for us, and, and we see what he's told us to do, and we, we think it's kind of weird, and we don't really want to trust him with it, but then six months later you're like, oh, he was right. I should have listened to him. I should have followed those those directions. It's interesting. In, in the end of Luke, there's this there's this weird story where Jesus appears to some guys that are walking on the road to Emmaus. I don't know if you know that story, um, but he appears to them and he's explaining how how he Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Bible. So he explains how all these Old Testament scriptures were all about him. And, and Matthew does the same thing for us again and again, saying, saying Jesus was the fulfillment of this. Just as the scripture said, Jesus did this. And sometimes those fulfillments are more literal than others. Sometimes they're kind of figurative. I think this one's kind of figurative. I don't think, uh, I don't think John the Baptist was Elijah reincarnated. I don't, I don't think he was physically Elijah. But, but in Luke 1, it predicts that he would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So I'm just going to trust Jesus that John the Baptist was enough Elijah to be a fulfillment of that scripture. Just as uh, it says in Matthew when, when uh, Jesus was a baby and his, his dad took him to Egypt to flee, then they came back. Matthew says this was a fulfillment of Hosea where it says, Out of Egypt I will call my son. And we know that Hosea was originally talking about Israel. He was really originally talking about his people becoming his son. But we also know that Jesus is the point of the whole story. And he's the true Israel. He's the one that was everything that Israel was supposed to be. Like I said, he's the, he's the grid, he's the key for, for all of Scripture. So when we're confused, look at Jesus. Just a practical way to do this is, is there's, there's shorter summary statements. There's like easier to understand parts of the Bible. And, and I would encourage you to start there. Um, a couple of years ago we did the chronological Bible. It's called the Daily Bible. That's a great way to get the big picture if you can handle wading through all the details you don't understand. It at least puts it in order. So that's a good place to start. But if, if you're like me, I'm kind of this way where if I don't know how the story's going to end, it's hard for me to read the first part. You know, like I kind of want to get the big picture first. And if you're like that, I go to some of the summary statements like in, in 1 Corinthians 15 where, where Paul says, This is my gospel. This is the gospel I preached to you, and this is the gospel by which we stand. Here it is. Jesus died for us. He rose from the dead, and he appeared to many witnesses. And he, and he just kind of lays it out. There's, there's, there's summary statements like that where they're compact, and, and it helps you to get the rest of the picture by getting the summary. 
by getting, by getting the end of the story. Galatians is a great short book by Paul that talks about the gospel and how it's by grace and not by works and not by the law and it helps unravel for you what the law really meant and how that you know reaches its zenith in, in Jesus. It's a nice short book. Um, I would recommend reading the gospels. I mean, right now as we study through Matthew, it's, it's a great thing to just read and kind of reinforce what we're already studying. Or read Mark, which is the shortest and like the most action-packed gospel. Everything happens real fast in Mark. It's a great one to read especially if you have a short attention span. Um, John is another good one. Read, read the Gospel of John. It's pretty simple and easy to understand, but it kind of has this heavenly perspective. Um, the other three Gospels kind of get the on-the-ground disciple perspective of Jesus, but John kind of has a little more interpretation going on, giving you the big picture, helping you understand what was happening and who Jesus really was. But I encourage you, just in your own studies and your own growth, when you're confused, listen to Jesus. Go to Jesus. See him as the center of the whole book, of the whole text, the one that un- unwraps it all. The last thing we see is that we should listen to him when we're weak. When we're weak, we should also listen to him. And this is another little story that, that Matthew has, has kind of tacked on here to this scene. Starting in verse 14, it says, When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And Jesus says, Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. So I tried to use a nicer word. I said when we're weak. Uh, but Jesus calls us unbelieving and perverse. Um, he's, a little, he's a little rougher about it. But he says, bring, bring the boy to me. How long do I have to put up with this? But bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, it says in verse 18, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. And then the disciples came up to him, kind of with their tails between their legs, right? So the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, well, why couldn't we drive it out? Why didn't it work? We'd been given authority to drive out demons. It didn't work. What was going on, Jesus? He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So Jesus says, the problem is your faith. In the other passages it says, uh, you need prayer. And I think, um, because these are the same stories, we could say that's the same thing, right? Faith is trusting God. Prayer is calling on God and His power and His Lordship to make things happen. Prayer is saying, I can't do it, God, but you can do it, and so I'm asking you to do it, God. In this story, Jesus says, because you had such little faith. And I think often we misunderstand this because we think of it as a a comparison of quantity. Um, Like Jesus is saying, you had little faith, and if you just had this mustard seed faith, that would just be enough to get you over the top, right? But you just had this tiny faith. But I don't think that's really what it means. Because for one thing, mustard seed is about as small as you get. You know, it's not like he said, well, you had a teaspoon, and you really need a tablespoon to just push you over, and then, then you would have arrived, right? It's not, a, it's not a difference in quantity. It's a difference in quality. He's saying you had little faith. You had weak faith. You had puny faith. You had non-faith. This word just means you don't really have faith. You just don't really have much to work with. You're not really trusting me. You're not, like I said in the other, in the other books, you're not calling on me in prayer. You're not calling on God's power to make this happen. But you're trying to do it out of your flesh, out of your own strength. You need me to make this happen. You need God's power to make this happen. So if you don't really have faith, if you had some, if you just had a mustard seed worth, mustard seed's that big. 
you just had some faith. You could move mountains. You could do incredible things because faith is trusting God to make it happen. Faith is not this, this character quality in ourself as if it's something great about us. It's an emptying of ourself, a, a confessing and a calling on Him to do it for us. An acknowledgement that we can't do it and we need God's help to make it happen for us. That, that's what faith is. And just be, be careful because so many people preach this, this kind of magical view of faith. You know, like, like you can work it up and you can just like, you can train and get more faith and more faith and bigger faith and better faith. And, and Jesus says, just trust me. Just trust me. It's not about you. You know, just like just like Peter got distracted there with Moses and Elijah, and hey, let's build houses for him, and and God was like, all right, I'm taking him back. It's about Jesus, okay? <laughs> Listen to him. He says, don't don't get distracted by everything else out there. It's it's about Jesus. So so don't don't let your ears get get stopped up, but hear him. I found hands here of, of these uh, this picture of praying hands just to have us thinking about that that kind of empty hands of, of faith you know just just asking to to be filled because we can't do it ourselves and I was reminded in James we preached James a couple of years ago and in James there's this great section in the end in chapter five where he's talking about how we should just be real before God you know how how if we're sick we should ask for help if we're happy we should praise God if we need something we should pray and ask God for it. You know, we should we should just be real. We should trust him to be the solution to our problems. And it ends with this this funny little thing about Elijah. And I was just thinking of it, I guess, because Elijah was here hanging out with Jesus in this story. And it says that it says that Elijah was an ordinary man, just like us. And he prayed, and great things happened. And if you're like me, you're thinking, well, well, no, James, Elijah was a superhero. You, you misunderstand, right? I mean, if you've read the Elijah stories, Elijah is like this bigger-than-life character in the Bible. I mean, throughout the Bible, the most incredible characters, it's weird, there are these pairs. There's, there's Moses and Joshua, there's Elijah and Elisha, and then there's John the Baptist and Jesus. And these miraculous, incredible things happen around these men. Just, just unbelievable stories, you know, superheroes of, of the Bible. And, and so I look at the Elijah stories and I'm like, no, it, it's all about Elijah. He's the man. I wish I could be Elijah. And James says, no, it's not all about Elijah. Elijah was just an ordinary man, just like us. Just like you and me. He prayed. He asked God, the extraordinary God, to do great things. And God did great things through Elijah as Elijah called on him. And I, and I think that's, that's an easy thing for us to forget. And, and so my encouragement to us is that we would really be a praying church. You know, and there's, you know, we we pray before service, we pray in service, we pray after service, and you know, there's all kinds of corporate prayer that we can do. We encourage you to, to get in small groups where you pray for each other, where you pray with each other. Um, but I can't really get into your prayer closet with you and encourage you to call out to God. And, and that would really be my hope for us and for us as a body is that we'd be a, a people that leans on God. That, that calls on Him and, and asks Him to solve our problems. That, that when we're happy, we thank Him for it and praise Him for the good things He's given us. When we're hurting, we ask for His help. When we see friends that need something, we pray for them. That, that we would be a praying people. That we would be a people of faith. Not super faith. We don't need to be superheroes. We just need to have faith. Just a mustard seed. That we would just trust Him and, and not ourselves.
as we conclude, I wanted to read these, these last two little verses. And this kind of keeps looping back in, in these last few chapters. It keeps looping back to Jesus kind of re-explaining, you know, yeah, I'm going to make all things right, but, but I'm going to suffer and die. And that's going to be part of this process. It says, when they came together in Galilee, it's verse uh, 22 and 23. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Another translation says they were utterly dismayed. They were, they were utterly, utterly broken about it. Because as, as much as they're trying to listen to him, it hurts them to follow him completely. They, it's hard for them to hear everything, everything that God wants to do. And I know we're in that position. I mean, I know I've been in that position too where it's, hard, it's just hard to hear him. I was talking earlier about how a few years ago my wife, she was just having a hard time hearing me. And, and she was afraid that, that it was just like the subconscious, you know, she hated me and, you know, and there was just a serious problem in our marriage. Um, but we went and, and sought help, uh, got help and, and went to a doctor. And the doctor said, well, actually, you, you have serious hearing loss and you've lost the low tones, which is kind of unusual when, when you're going deaf. You usually use, lose the high tones first. But she lost the low tones, so she just couldn't hear my, you know, medium low, mumbly voice. But she could hear everything else. You know, she could hear the squealing children. She could hear the uh, broken cabinet door and the squeaking chair. and you know, She could hear everything else, the, the beeping alarms, but, but she couldn't hear my voice. But, but the great thing is we got help. Now she's got hearing aids and she can, she can hear pretty normally with her hearing aids. And, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. And that's something that we praise God for. And I know a lot of you are in this position where, where you hear this call, you know, where I'm saying, where God is saying, listen to him, listen to Jesus. And you're thinking, I've got, you know, I've got something stuck in my ears. Like, I don't, I don't know that I quite hear him. And I would encourage you to, to go to him and ask him for help. Because not only is he the one you're supposed to listen to, but he's, he's really the doctor that can help you with that, too. He's the one that can open up your ears. You know, he says a lot in the Gospels, He who has ears, let him hear. And the Scripture makes it pretty clear that God is the one that grants us the ability to hear. The, the, the ability by grace to, to hear Him, to see Him, to perceive what God wants to tell us. And so my encouragement to you is just call out to Him. If you feel like you're not hearing Him, tell Him. Say, God, I'm not, I'm not hearing you. I'm not getting it. Don't be like the disciples just filled with grief and, and walk away in confusion, but, but call out to him for help. Like the one who, who, when Jesus was healing him, he says, do you believe? And he's like, I do believe, but help, help my unbelief. He, he's not afraid of you asking him to help you out with your problem. We're all going to struggle to hear him. And we need to continue to call him, say, God, open, open my ears. Give me ears to hear. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for the grace of being the God that doesn't stay far away and remote in your holiness and in your awesome power, but that you come down here with us. You reveal yourself to us. And so, Lord, help us to listen. Help us to have ears to hear you. Pray that you would change our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes. Let us see you. Let us hear you. Let us be changed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.